HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Hello, welcome to Japanese. I'm your host, Taki Kotayama, a food writer and the director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes a deep understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. We are broadcasting live from Brooklyn, New York. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every day in the supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? We hear dashi ramen yuzakaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is still a mystery for many people, and I try to demystify this program with my good guests. And my guest today is Elizabeth Sando, who already joined us 12 times and shared her truly deep insight into traditional Japanese food culture. And Elizabeth is a food writer and Japanese cooking instructor based in Tokyo, and she has lived in Japan for over 50 years. And she runs a culinary art program called A Taste of Culture, which offers a great opportunity for non-Japanese people to explore Japanese culture through its food. And Elizabeth is also the author of six cookbooks, including the award-winning Washoku, Recipes from J- Japanese Kitchen, and Kansha, Celebrating Japan's Vegan and Vegetarian Traditions. And today's topic is ice. And it's summertime, and we love refreshing cooling sweets. And in Japan, ice has been an important part of its food culture. And the most famous food would be kakigori, a type of shaped ice dish uh, with unique flavor and texture. And its aesthetics is another reason why kakigori is so popular. And you can go to a specialty shop or Japanese-style cafe to enjoy kakigori, or you can make one at home as various handy tools available. So today we'll discuss how Japanese people started eating ice 12 centuries ago, and how they developed the elaborate shaped ice called kakigori, the unique flavors and texture of kakigori, and how you can make kakigori at home and other types of ice used in Japanese food culture, such as hand-carved perfect ice used for cocktails, and much, much more. But before you start, Japan is available on the Heritage Radio Network website, as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. So if you haven't, please go to iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify, and subscribe to Japanese. 
And please write a review. We really appreciate your feedback.、Um, by the way, this is Japan, its 300th episode, and I cannot believe how far this show has come. So, thank you so much for listening, everyone. Now, let's start a conversation with Elizabeth Ando. Hello, Elizabeth. Welcome back to the show. Thank you. So,、uh, listeners who want to know Elizabeth's fascinating life story about moving to Japan, how she met her lovely Japanese husband,、uh, how she started her culinary career, and many other unique experiences, please listen to、uh, episode number 18. And also, her previous 12 episodes on Japanese are truly fun and informative. So, if you are interested in learning from her tremendously valuable and practical knowledge of Japanese food, Please go to heritageradionetwork.org and search Elizabeth Ando. It's A N D O H, Elizabeth Ando. Now let's dive into today's topic because there's so much to talk about. So, Japanese people are quite obsessed with eating ice. So, when did they start eating ice and what kind of food was it?、Uh, it was. It, Japanese have been eating ice for centuries. Uh, the first written record、um, was in something called the Chronicles of Japan, an 8th century、um, document. And it was referred to as an ice room, Himuro, and a way of keeping ice naturally cool throughout the year. And they did that by packing it with rice straw、uh, and、uh, preventing the, the heat of the day from melting it. Um, it was obviously only for very important people.、Mm, right. <laughs> Sounds like it's almost impossible, <laughs> but they may、uh, not happen. Well, it's, it's interesting. There are stories of the equivalent of ice cellars,、uh, these places where ice would be kept and, and wrapped up、um, throughout the world at, at various different times. I don't think Japan is the oldest record. I, I think the oldest record actually is in the Middle East, in Iran, what's now Iran.、Um, but so the idea of trying to keep ice、um, when the weather was no longer cold is not unique to Japan, but I think、um, the way Japanese、uh, culinary activity responded to that ability is, is perhaps different. Mm. Right, interesting. So, we're going to dig into that culinary <laughs> development. So, yeah,、um, so the kakigori, as I mentioned、right. in the introduction, is the great example of that Japanese、yes. culinary pursuit and obsession with ice. So,、right. um, it's a uniquely、um, shaped ice, and、uh, we'll talk about the details in a moment. But first, what is the history of kakigori? When and who invented it?、Um. I don't know that there's a person credited for inventing it,、um, but again, the first written record is about 1000 AD.、Um, there was a woman, Sei、uh, Shonagan, who wrote a rather bawdy collection of, of poetry, Observations of the Heian Court, and she called this work the Pillow Book, Bakura no Soshi.、Um, and in that, there's a reference to crushed ice. That's drizzled with a sweet syrup. And、um, clearly, people who know kakigori now consider that the forerunner of kakigori as we know it today.、Mm. Right. And I heard that back then,、uh, that sweet syrup was a natural、uh, plant based、uh, called amazra. And、uh, mm. it kind of like, looks like a honey. So it、mm. must be a very, very、um, precious thing for 
to be able to uh, eat. It, it was. Okay. And my understanding is it's similar to maple syrup in that it's taken, you know, it's slashed and then the um, syrup is drained off and boiled down and made into a syrup. Um, it's hard to find real amazura today anywhere in Japan. There are a few places where you can buy it. Um, and I can't say that I've ever really tasted the real thing. Like <laughs> well, there may be a reason. Um, it may not be as, right. as great as what we can taste now, but um, I love that history. I want to try that one day. Yeah, um, yes. yeah and I also heard that uh, the shaved ice was, of course, uh, needed to be preserved cold. So they served right. on a metal, chilled metal bowl, right. which is just just by imagining in a hot summer, no uh, refrigeration, but no AC, and uh, right. they managed to cool down. Right. So it was a functional food in a way. Um, yes, and it was uh, clearly uh, very special. It required um, great effort to be able to um, maintain it and serve it. Um, and uh, interestingly, a lot of the culinary history that we have um, – Indeed, is because the people who ate it were important, and the process for presenting um, this very precious food to important people was recorded. Um, otherwise, it's it's it would have melted, and we never would have known about it. <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So, uh, so we very much admire kakigori in modern life, modern days. And mm. um, so, what exactly is kakigori? now and um, what does it look like and what is the difference from regular shaved ice in paper cups like you can find in the u.s <laughs> um well i think perhaps the biggest difference is the texture and um the japanese refer to it as hua hua um almost like cotton candy it's very fluffy and um the reason why the ice becomes so fluffy is really twofold the, the water that's used to make the ice and how it's frozen, and also the way in which it's shaved. Um, but the water that is, is used is um, sort of ultra-filtered. Um, there's no uh, impurities in it at all. And it's um, frozen to a temperature of minus 10 C, which is, uh, I think, 14 Fahrenheit. Um, and it's a fairly slow process, so at least two days it takes for it to be made. Um, the pure ice, this with no bubbles, no impurities or anything, is referred to as junpyo, um, and it's uh, manufactured. It's not natural. There are uh, natural spring uh, water that's used to make ice, but to get that lovely texture that people associate with kakigori. It's actually made from um, manufactured ice uh, made in, in very special circumstances. Mm, right, so slow and by slow, slowly um, freezing ice, I heard the molecules right. in water kind of get aligned right. and then right. I guess the air comes out slowly so it's pure and transparent ice and uh, doesn't slow, um, doesn't melt easily. And that kind of right. ice itself is the essence of kakigori, right? Right, yeah. Right. Um, and then 
shaving it. And the Japanese are known for their knives, for their cutting blades. And um, the blades that are even in the less expensive sort of household um, machines that you can make takigori with um, are very well honed. And they're also at a, an angle um, where it's really shaved very thin. Um, and the angle and the uh, sharpness of the blade, the combination of the two, um, is what makes those almost um, sheets that look almost like tissue, tissue paper um, mm. when you're actually grinding it. Um, and it also makes it easier to eat. Um, it's interesting. There are lots of people um, who attack a mound of kakigori uh, some people do it from the top, others from the bottom, sometimes from the side. <laughs> what's, he, what's your method of attack? I always start at the bottom. Yeah, I do too because the syrup is underneath and uh, you can make the most of everything throughout. The if place. it collapses, it all folds back into the bowl rather than <laughs> going outside. But um, I do know people who, who do it very elegantly uh, from the side and sort of turn the bowl around so that doesn't um, get unbalanced in the in in the process but um this foie foie fluffy ice is also easier to eat i think that regular crushed ice uh tends to um fall out of the cone uh, more easily Mm. right well i think uh the you said it's more flatter than actual like you know balls that keeps it uh i think kind of expands probably the surface on your tongue and uh, it's it releases the cold temperatures as much as uh i don't know syrup and so yeah it's it's just it's just ice shaped ice but it's so much in there and um uh you mentioned the hua hua is uh you know one of those very unique japanese uh adjective and there's a study i think it's an academic study in 20 2003 and someone uh, compared different languages and how many adjectives exist. And in Japanese, there are 455. And uh, in Chinese, 144. And French, 227. English and German, around 100. So sometimes when I have to translate Japanese adjective, like especially this kind of textual uh, or temperature or anything like that, I, I can't find how I work because there's no equivalent, I guess. Mm, it, it's it's hard. As I said, it it reminds me when you look at it. It reminds me of cotton candy, um, and mm. it sort of impossibly holds together. It doesn't look like it should, but it does. Um, and again, when you try to eat it with a spoon, the side of the spoon, it doesn't really collapse. It sort of keeps its shape. Um, and it's it's probably because in the process of shaving it, it's um, the equivalent of cutting with the grain rather than against. Because it's 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 really almost a, a almost parallel. In other words, the the blade is almost parallel to the ice, just barely raised so that it shaves off a very very thin piece at one time. Wow. Right. And uh, the visual of how high it is and how dramatically it's presented, that's another thing. But uh, yeah, we'll take a quick break here. And then when we come back, we'll dive into how to make delicious and cooling kakigori at home. So please stay with us. 
This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. And of course, there's the two Michelin-starred Blanca tucked away in the garden for truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Welcome back. You're listening to Japan Needs on HRN, Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Akiko Tema, and my guest today is Elizabeth Ando, a food writer and a cookbook author and a Japanese cooking instructor based in Tokyo. So um, so you can go to a uh, uh, shop in Japan, right, to eat kakigori. So um, how can we find that place? Like there's a big flag, I think you can find. Uh, there, there, there's a big flag with the uh, calligraphy for ice, uh, Cody, and um, it's usually pretty obvious. Also, on, on, on hot days, there'll be a long line um, of people waiting to get in. Um, it's interesting. Uh, ramen shops and um, kakigori places um, have very long lines. People are willing to stand in line um, to eat at the very wonderful places, especially now with, um, uh, you know, SNS and, and uh, social media uh, outlets where people are um, announcing where they've just had the best kakigori. Uh, lines form fairly, um, fairly quickly. Um, most places have... Um, you know, the standard or the classic uh, flavors available, uh, things like matcha and uh, with, if it has the um, sweet bean uh, jam as well, it's uji kintoki um, and a variety of different uh, fruit flavors. But uh, interestingly, a study was um, conducted by um, a market research organization in Japan as to the favorite flavor. And it was strawberry by a large measure. I mean, huge uh, difference between the number one and number two slot. Um, and the number one was strawberry. Um, and the Uji Kintoki was number three, by the way. Uh, mm, so, yeah, there's a strawberry, just strawberry. And then when I grew up, it was like a very chemically <laughs> colored, flavored um, pink uh, on ice, and I that was my favorite by far too. And my I brother think, liked the melon. Yeah, yeah. Oh, re- well, I think also it's the color. Um, red and white are the colors of of felicity, of happiness. Um, and and most kids like strawberry. Uh, by the way, I've put a, a recipe up on my um, website for a fresh strawberry sauce, and uh, nice. it's very simple to make. Um, okay. The, uh, well, we'll discuss later when I how to make uh, ice at home. But uh, 
you mentioned Ujikintoki, so that's a very, mm. very foundational kakigori um, flavor. Right. And also, I think a lot of um, flavor people think of Ujikintoki as a foundation of Japanese sweets. So, uh, right. what is Ujikintoki? Well, the Uji stands for the tea. Uji is one of many places in Japan where tea is um, cultivated and um, processed and sold. And it's often, it's outside of Kyoto, and it's often associated with uh, tea and, and tea culture. And so the word Uji on a menu usually means that it's going to have green tea in there. Um, the king toki refers to the actual bean. Um, azuki beans are a kind of red bean, and uh, kintoki is a particular kind of um, uh, azuki that is um, especially suitable uh, for making um, bean jam, and especially mm. the um, the kind where the bits and pieces of the bean are still left in there, um, in other words, where it's not the smooth um uh, bean jam, but rather there are chunks in there, and uh, kintoki mami are probably the best um, for that. So uji kintoki refers to the two um, signature ingredients of the dish: the green tea, the matcha, and um, the uh, the sweet bean jam. So, in addition to um, the green tea and the um, bean jam, they're often what look like marshmallows. Um, they're uh, little uh, rice, uh, sweet rice balls, and they're rather chewy. Um, and uh, some people like them, some people don't. Um, the other flavor that I must admit that I've never really taken to, but it was number two on the survey, was something called uh, Renyu or, or condensed milk. Um, the Japanese like sweet condensed milk. Um, it's probably my least favorite flavor of them all. Are you a, a, mm. a milk fan? <laughs> you know, I probably never paid attention because I was so into strawberry and <laughs> so. <laughs> but I, I will probably uh, revisit next time we'll go to Japan. But yeah, mm-hmm. it's just a variation, the, the colorful and different texture of toppings. And it's just yeah. fun. And I think the height of kakigori is just so exciting because it's almost yeah. like impossibly big. You can't have that much ice cream. But if it's right. shaped kakigori, you can. And you just totally cool down after this. Right. And although, obviously, the sweet syrups are, have their calories, it's not nearly as caloric as uh, because the, the kori itself is, is water. And um, so it's a relatively um, low-calorie sweet. Mm, right. And less cholesterol, I'd imagine, than ice cream. <laughs> well, certainly that, that too, right? Right. Okay. And uh, so you can go to a uh, kakigori shop looking for right. that famous flag, uh, blue right. and uh, background and red kori ice right. litter. Um, and it's actually very, I think I, I feel like I'm going to frame it and then hang on my wall because it's so dramatic <laughs> and classic and beautiful. But anyways, but you can make kakigori easily at home. Uh, with a shaving machine. So what kind of shaving machines are available 
around how much? Uh, there's a, an abundance of gadgets. Um, uh, I know that when my daughter was um, little, her her machine was one of these um, that had um, a teddy bear with eyes that would move when you cranked it. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. And uh, sort of these googly eyes that would move each time you would hand crank it. Um, basically, uh, I, and I guess you can still get those. Uh, there was also one, um, there was a Mickey Mouse one. There was one with children in a bus. Um, but all sorts of sort of kitschy, cute um, shapes. Uh, nowadays, there are also these very sort of sleek, um, sophisticated looking, almost looking like... Um, the grinders that, that grind coffee beans, um, and you can hold it and hmm. hold it over a bowl and, and create the ice okay. yourself. Um, uh, many of them are now electric. The old-fashioned ones were, as I said, cranked by hand. Um, and um, I'm not, I, to me, cranking it by hand is sort of part of the fun. Uh, and there's always a place to put a bowl, uh, but yeah. it was definitely a, a one at a time, and you had to wait your turn. It was a, a one at a time um, experience, and if you had friends over, um, you had to gum on. You had to uh, resist the urge to complain because your friend was um, shaving her or his ice ahead of yours. Yeah, and it's in the variation. Um, and then I'm looking at it, for example, it's the Amazon website, right. Fiori Machine. And they are like a hand uh, cranking machine, like $30. It's fun and you can really um, have fun with it. And uh-huh. it's a very um, creative um, kind of activity with your kids and even adults. It's kind of healing. It's almost like a grinding coffee beans and something like that. So... Are there any of the retro-looking machines? I know in Japan, um, for a while, it was very popular to get what looked like the original um, kakigori shaving machine. Yeah. Um, well, I'm and, looking at it. It's pretty expensive. <laughs> it's like hundred dollars. Yeah. yeah. Um, it was, but it was a sort of a, a flurry of interest in, especially during the pandemic. Um, people were. Um, using these old-fashioned looking machines uh, in order to um, make ice. Mm. Yeah, during the pandemic, uh, people did a lot of different things. And uh, I think it's not a bad idea. If you don't travel, you save money. So you have uh, money to spend on um, fancy ice-making machines. (laughs) And it's pretty cool-looking too. right? And uh, so you said... uh, I mean, you can make own syrup or toppings, yes. right? So, right. so you gave us an example. It's like a strawberry. Uh, well, topping. it's it's a very it's a very simple formula, if you will, the equivalent of a simple syrup: um, sugar and water that's boiled down into a syrup. Um, what's really uh, key, I think, and it, it's part of my recipe too, is a drop of soy sauce at the end. Um, adding a bit of salt to all that sweet or, or a salty flavor to all that sweet actually mellows it so that it doesn't become mm, so cloying, so uh, annoyingly sweet. Uh, and a drop of um, 
if you can get it, the light-colored soy sauce so it doesn't um, change the color of the sauce so much. Mm. Right, that's the shiro, shiro shoyu, like white soy. Shiro shoyu, right. And it's actually saltier than regular, meaning the sodium content is more concentrated um, in the light-colored soy sauce. So you really only need a drop right. at the very, very end. But it will make all the difference in, in mellowing the flavor, particularly um, for uh, things like strawberry and lemon. Uh, makes a huge difference. So, I mean, people sweat in the summer. An addition of salty soy sauce a little bit might be very helpful to add some uh, electrolytes in your body. And also, it's some umami in there, too. It's definitely the, um, the fermented, the, the umami fermented flavor as well, but um, just a little bit of sodium that will counteract all of the sugar. And it's true when you're making any sort of sweet sauce, I think. If you add a pinch of salt at the end, it would make a big difference. Mm-hmm. Right. So um, I think uh, what you're saying also is that you can be creative, right? It's any fruits available in farmer's right. market or supermarket in the summer. You can kind of create your own kind of preserve in Western style. You can top the ice with whatever you create and you can just cool down probably just crushing fresh fruit and um adding a little bit of, of sugar to make it into a syrup and then again that final drop of soy sauce at the end uh, I, I can imagine mango would be wonderful um i can imagine the kiwi might be wonderful um trying to think what else uh grape is probably possible i'm not sure that the the skins wouldn't get in the way they might have to be sort of um strained out afterwards but i th- would imagine almost any fruit would work very well mm, right and if you can go crazy then uh i'll top a uh, scoop of ice cream on top which i did <laughs> sometimes and it's kind That's of also possible <laughs> negate yeah <laughs> negate the healthfulness but yeah it's why not it's summertime you want to cool down so right. um yeah so kakigori you can be so creative um but besides kakigori ice is often found in japanese cuisine so could you give us some uh, examples well certainly in terms of uh presentation uh and it's interesting there are gadgets out there now that will enable you to make a bowl out of ice, and then you serve things in that bowl. Um, uh, certainly sashimi is often um, served on ice. Uh, somen, uh, noodles, are sometimes served um, in, in the, where the bowl itself is actually ice. Um, and the gadget that they sell in order to do that is sort of two metal bowls and, and the water that's in between um, freezes to the shape of the bowl, and when you remove it, you've got your, your bowl of ice. Um, and if you're not going to use actual ice for your bowl, the Japanese love to use glass um, in the summertime. It looks like ice, so it, it sort of feels cool to look at it, and it also makes sort of a tinkling sound when your um, chopsticks hit the glass. And uh, much like wind chimes, that sort of cooling sensation of hearing 
the tinkle um, and uh, all of that sort of mm, gives the impression of being cool on a hot summer's day. Mm. I, I mean, the uh, ice is a great example because seasonality is the sense of Japanese food culture. So ice is just so representative of summer and many plates uh, made with glasses and blue and um I mean, if you go to Kaiseki restaurants, which is always um, a whole gallery of right. serving vessels that reflects the seasonality. So some of them, it's, uh, if you go to Japanese restaurants, it's, it's fun to observe how the serving vessels are expressing this whole mind of seasonality to celebrate it. So, yes. yeah, it, it's great. And, um, yeah, and especially Japanese summer is very hot and humid in most part of the country. So, yes. yeah, the, right. Uh, it, so. It, it's already it's already begun. We're 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 in the rainy season here in Tokyo now, and that alternates between days of well, every day is drizzly, <laughs> sometimes more mm. than just drizzle, and uh, sometimes really high temperatures, uncomfortably humid, and. Uh, Occasionally, a lower temperature, chilly, but we seem to be more in the in the hot, humid, um, and probably for the next couple of weeks. So, um, thoughts, cooling thoughts, and cooling food is um, uppermost in in many people's minds uh, here. Um, it's also interesting. I just thought the month of June is in the old-fashioned uh, lunar calendar was referred to as uh, Minatsuki, and it's interestingly written with the characters for no water month, <laughs> um, but that presumes that it was on the old lunar calendar and it was going to be after the rainy season had, had stopped. But one of the sweets that served um, for Minatsuki is a triangle um, of sweet sort of rice. It's made out of guido, mochigome, uh, and sugar. And it's intended to look like ice. Um, and it's referred to as a himuro, um, you know, these ice cellars. Um, so that mm, lots of, of foods and so men served on chunks of ice. So lots of foods that are going to be eaten at this time of year will be themed around ice, even if they don't have ice as part of them. Mm, interesting, right? Mm. Um, so that's the. I think that if ever you go to, whenever you go to Japan, and you can always find element of season in on food, on plates, on balls, and everything. But um, just going back quickly to Himuro, mm. uh, you explained it's a mm. it's a very very old kind of freezer in a way. But right, I went to one of the you know, fancy sushi restaurants. And uh -huh. the chef created himuro for his Ooh. fish back wow. at his counter because the refrigeration system in the modern system is too harsh on food, the ingredients, delicate fish. Oh. So he created, actually, customer order himuro because oh. it's gentle. And uh, it's almost like a binchotan chako, right? The gentle but intense and not to damage what you're right. cooking or so yeah, just protecting with. So yeah, it's, it's an ancient technology, but Himuro um, is such a cool equipment. I'm so glad um, people still try to use it. 
um, the wisdom of the ancients. Uh, clearly, at the at the time, there weren't many other choices. There was not refrigeration as we know it today, but um, a combination, I think, of imagination and a little bit of desperation <laughs> um, combined together to come up with some pretty wonderful ideas, and um, they're as useful today as they were then. Um, mm. I, I imagine it must not be uh, it must be an ongoing process for him to be able to um, keep the himuro at the right conditions mm. right it's like a vinyl right for the best mm-hmm. sound music wow. and we yeah. go back to vinyls so right. yes well <laughs> so himuro uh, we'll see how how long you can survive and hopefully um, it can really. It looks beautiful too in the modern version yes, of the design. I'm it's sure. a classic, right? Mm-hmm. So, okay. And uh, another famous example of Japanese obsession with ice is uh, hand carved ice. And top yeah. cocktail bars take pride in their hand carved ice, um, which is as clear and sparkling as a diamond. Seriously. So, um, wow. maybe you can tell us about how special it is. Um, again, the ice itself is made from junpyo, from this pure um, ice, so that there are no impurities in it at all. But I'm always amazed at um, people, sculpture, um, that can be made um, from ice. And um, there are various different contests um, for ice sculpting. And they're often on display in um, uh, banquets and other uh, special occasions. Um, And the ability to uh, create ice that will have um, no impurities is um, technology, yes, but also determination and uh, careful um, uh, work work. uh, tene, this this ability to really focus on carefully doing the the work at hand um, is is part of it. Um, the taste of things when that ice is used is also different because it's not adding um, any chemical flavors. It's not adding any and um, uh, any unwanted elements. Um, to the ice at all, so you're getting the pure experience as mm. it is. Right, not uh, New York City city treated water, which actually tastes good. But if it comes to making a cocktail or something, um, it can interrupt uh, the genuine mm. flavor of the ingredients. And yeah, I think um, you raise an interesting point: the time to appreciate something. The Japanese cocktail mm. bars are very different, and American cocktail bars are very quick, speedy, creative, fun. But in Japan, you have to really sit down and kind of hush and watch how uh, mixologists make. And ice mm. is, that's why they spend time to hand carve ice as a perfection. I mean, they're representing the perfect art right. they're creating every day per each glass. So, um, and then um, by hand carving ice, perfect round shape doesn't melt too quickly so you can enjoy the cocktail very slowly and appreciate it and it's worth waiting for 
the time it's being made and served. So, yeah, I, I think it's uh, it sounds crazy that why do you hunt cog ice? But I think there's a huge meaning of it. I, I'm I'm sure there is. I must admit I'm not a a, a cocktail bar person usually, but I you <laughs> have now convinced me I should probably seek out um, the opportunity. Um, but the mm, I think it's true of a, a lot of aspects of, of Japanese culinary activity. Um, the effort, the care, uh, the consideration um, that's put into something really has its rewards. It's not um, just fussy, um, unnecessary uh, work. It all has a a purpose and it has uh, an objective. And when it's done properly, um, the final product is so much better than it could have been otherwise. Um, Mm. Right. So it's true of ice too. Mm. Right. So time slows as the ice melts and uh, life (laughs) gets more impressive and uh, summer can be more fun as well. Yes, Um, I think so. Right. So, So what are your plans for the summer and beyond? Uh, staying cool with a lot of ice um, <laughs> and um, not sure that um, it's going to be much different from what I'm doing now. Japan has sort of reopened and um, what I've put up on my website and anybody who's interested can can go there and get details are, are small groups who gather on their own. So one to four people and then they'll request a particular date and if I'm available, um, I will do a program in person. Um, So I've been doing a number of those, and that's probably how I'm going to manage it for the rest of the year, rather than arbitrarily choosing a date and a topic and offering the program. Okay. Where's the website uh, or anywhere we can go to? At tasteofculture.com, T-A-S-T-E-O-F-C-U-L-T-U-R-E, dot com and um you'll find lots of resources Uh, a lot of um posts that i've done into my kitchen culture blog uh also on the projects which are actually taking those ideas and into the kitchen and and making something with them uh and i have a facebook group where we do those projects um together and um a lot of the uh, archived newsletters, um, this most recent newsletter was about ice, and there's an archived copy up on, on my website on the newsletter page. You can take a look at that and then sign up to get um, future newsletters. Right. So there's the tab, uh, newsletter. And uh, I really enjoy your newsletter because it's a uh, I mean, very um, kind of, I don't, I don't see many newsletters like this, very authentic. And very informative, and uh, you really communicate <laughs> you. the essence of Japanese cuisine. So I really admire. I look forward to it every time. You know, thank you. Uh, I try to so. choose a, a topic, and um, again, it connects to my website where I'm able to use more space to talk more about that topic. Um, and so this time, indeed, the topic was ice. Uh, right. So very timely. Indeed. Okay. So uh, yeah, well find another topic for another season and hopefully you can come back for our 14th episode 
So thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. I always enjoy. I always learn so much from you. So thank you. Likewise. Thank you. All right. So listeners, if you have any questions or comments about the show or suggestions for show topics or guests, please contact us at Japanese at heritagefidionetwork.org or akikotema.com. Japanese is a weekly program and is always available at heritagefidionetwork.org as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. Engineer is Liam Warner, and thank you for listening. I will see you next week. Japan Needs is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.